Let us pray. Shatter the silence, mighty God, with your glad and glorious greetings. Banish all our fears and give us faith in Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. If there is anything said this morning that is not according to your will, let it come to naught and do no harm. But if there is anything said this morning that is according to your will, let it be heard, as if sung by the voice of angels, that hearing we might believe, and believing, obey. Amen. There's this joke about a man and a woman who went to a restaurant. The waiter asks for the woman's order. I'll have the salad, no nuts. Of course, the waiter says. But the man says it didn't say it had nuts. And she says, well, I'm allergic. I tell them to be safe. And for you, the waiter asks the man. I'll have the steak. No bees, please. It's a funny joke. Maybe not to everybody, but it is to me. And you have to know who you are. You just have to know who you are. In my line of work, people like to tell you who you are. I bet the same can be said for many of you too. In whatever it is you do, evaluation and continuous improvement is the name of the game. Let's get better, let's push harder, let's make it more efficient and more competitive with the, with the next business, the next family, the next church. And the most evaluated thing that I do as a minister is what? The sermon. Yes, the sermon. And they start that off in seminary, actually. I can remember my very first preaching class. I was actually telling the story to a few of you about a couple weeks ago. My preaching professor was Cleophas LaRue. And the only way you get a name like Cleophas LaRue is if your mother gives birth to you, takes one look at you and says, that's a preacher, Cleophas LaRue. And he was, he was a preacher. He sounded like a preacher with almost every sentence that he spoke. He could preach the phone book and make people want to give their lives to Jesus. And Cleophas LaRue was known to be a harsh evaluator of his first year preaching students. I can remember when one of my friends offered the first sermon of the semester, you preach, he opined, like a child who is learning how to ride his bike and has taken off the training wheels too early. And so I was intimidated when I went before him to preach my first sermon and I preached that sermon and I winced as I waited for his reaction. And he crossed his legs and he leaned back in his chair and clicked his tongue against his teeth. Are you a Presbyterian? He asked. Yes. He waited. Yes, sir. If you are indeed a Presbyterian, then the Presbyterian Church is in very good hands. And I was shocked 
I couldn't believe that that was his feedback after my very first sermon. I thought he was going to tell me one thing and he told me another thing altogether. I thought he was going to say I was one thing, but he told me I was another thing altogether. Now, in full disclosure, my next sermon that I preached in front of Dr. Cleophus LaRue did not get such rave reviews. In fact, he asked me on in no uncertain terms if I would please go and get a pastoral care class. But the first one, do you know what that feels like? To think you are going to be seen as one thing, but to be surprised with being known and being recognized, being affirmed as another. This was the experience of the very first people that read the creation story in Genesis. They thought they were one thing, but God in this scripture means to tell them that they are in fact something else. They thought they were one thing because before this creation narrative was written, the only other creation narrative that they knew was the one read on Akitu, the Babylonian New Year's festival. And every year the Babylonian king would get up and, and recite that creation story, a story of how their supreme god Marduk became the high king of the universe. He was once an upstart god who killed Tiamat, the goddess of the sea, and then used her body to create the earth. And this is how all the ancient Near Eastern stories of creation start with violence. The Canaanite god Baal creates the world by fighting against Mot, the god of death, and creates the world with Mot's dead carcass. These were the stories they knew about how they were made. Humans are made with the blood of rebellious gods. What does that say about us? What does it say about our place in the world, our purpose in the world, what we should offer the world if we were made from violence? You know, I think some people are still believing the creation stories of Marduk and Baal to this day, and they don't even know it. But the Genesis story is something else. The Genesis story is like that surprising, in-breaking voice of Cleophas LaRue to the people of God. You were thought you were one thing, but you were something else. The Genesis story says we were not made from violence, but that we were made well. It says that we are part of the image of God. It says that we are an extension of God. It says not that we are slaves to violence and power, but that we are to be caretakers of the gift of this planet, a, a, a planet breathed into existence through the lungs of God. And because we have been breathed into existence too, and we are even more than that, right? We haven't 
simply been breathed into existence. The 26th verse of the first chapter of the book of Genesis says that we were created. Not just one time, we were created. It says it a second time. And then it says we were created a third time. But then it says we were blessed. Almost as if that blessing was a part of the work of creation. It's like God didn't even take a breath after his creation before he blessed us. In our tradition, we tend to focus quite a bit on original sin, how things were shattered between God and his people from the very outset. But that actually doesn't happen until the next chapter. And this is why Richard Rohr, a contemporary theologian, is trying to remind us these days that we start on a foundation of original goodness, not original curse. He wants us to consider that what was actually original was blessing. That is how you were made. Not in any kind of way that Marduk would have created you. You were created with a blessing so close to God's lips that it came to rest on you between the breaths of his creating. And so as Roar goes on, the, the true and essential work of all religion is to help us recognize and recover the divine image in everything, in everything and everyone. And that is how we were made with a blessing so close to God's lips that it came to rest on you between the breaths of his creating over and against any narrative of Marduk or Baal or politics or media or money or any other made up gods that said you were made for violence and anger or to be slaves to someone or to something. And this was precisely the ministry of Jesus. He confronted a system that said, no, 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 we are the blessed ones. And he said, yes, you are. But so are the people that have been sick. And so are the people that have been poor. And so are the people that have been on the outside. And so are the people that didn't grow up in one religious tradition or another. And on Good Friday, he opened his arms up as wide as they would go so that he could prove it. This was precisely the ministry of Jesus. And Jesus would stand right here, right here, and look out at you and say, yes, you are blessed. Those of you that sit and worship with Kirk in the hills, yes, you are blessed. Those of you that belong to a community that worships in the shadow of that tower, that is how you were made. You were made so well. But do you know who else is blessed? Jesus would say, Keola is blessed. She's an 11-year-old girl that lives in Pontiac. And we've tried to tell her that she's blessed. 
We've tried to join in that ministry with Jesus. She's one of the students in our Accent Pontiac music program. But she's not just any one of the students. She's one of the children from Whitman Elementary that joined our girls choir and sang right here in our sanctuary all last year. She's one of our kids. And she is blessed. But in late August, she was shot in a drive-by shooting. The Detroit News reported that the victims, three girls, ages seven and 11 and a 10-month-old, were in a bedroom in the southwest corner of the home, planning to play a game in the basement when bullets ripped through the walls. They shot Keola in the hip and her body will heal. But will she know that she is made well? Will she know that she wasn't created for a violent world ruled by Marduk, but by the one who offered his very own image? Can you believe that we have to ask this about an 11-year-old girl that sang in this sanctuary? We have to ask it of any 11-year-old girl. But we do, and so we have to buy them groceries, as we did. We have to fix that shot-out window, as we did. We have to take part in the prayer vigil helps outside their home, as we did, because the church has to be the church, the actual church, the actual sent body of Jesus to offer the voice like the one given to us in Genesis, the first chapter, to push back on the story of Marduk. We have to be the voice, the kind of voice that Jesus offered the forgotten people in the first century there in Palestine, the one that sounds a lot like the one brought to me by Dr. Cleophas LaRue. And we have to offer to Keola and those like her, even those here today, even those watching today that have become mistaken for any number of reasons about the way that they were created and why they were created. We have to, as a church, be part of the ministry of Jesus to offer the voice, the one that says, you thought that you were something less than, something left out, something unworthy, but you actually have the divine image in you. You have the word blessed attached to your very being. You were made well. Amen.